So we made mention of this during our open tonight. We are we are not in the regular visitors television booth tonight. When we came here last September, we were told the tale of the Ring Central Coliseum possum, who apparently makes a home, there's ball four and Guillaume is on, makes a home in the visitors TV booth. And when, when our tech people walked into the booth, because it takes a lot to set up a booth for a, for a broadcast, right. they walk in the booth and immediately were met by the stench what? of the possum having, you know, done his business <laughs> in the booth. Baseball fans, welcome to Put Me In Coach. We are back yet again for another episode after a very long break. Uh, my name is Matt Coggins. I'm one of your hosts. And my name is Carl Mizell, and I'm the other host. How are you, friend? I'm doing great. It has been a crazy couple of weeks, um, but at the same time, there's been baseball, and I've been so stoked about that. How about you? You've been traveling. I have been. I was uh, all over southern, southwest Ohio, northern Kentucky, and then into Columbus last week for work, uh, which afforded me the opportunity to check off ballpark number 10. Uh, I checked out a game at Great American Ballpark. Great park. Please go check it out. Uh, got to meet a nice Phillies fan who agrees that the Tigers fleece them in the Soto trade for Veeling and Maton, <laughs> and that's proven quite quite nice with that excellent three-run walk-off that uh, Wolfie had last week, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I need a wolf howl sound effect to add to the board um, just for him. Yeah, you, def- yeah, you definitely got to get one of those. But... <laughs> Um, it's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> so, folks, you, you, we're having some uh, connect, connectivity issues with our with our recording platform, and we're sitting here like a couple of CNN correspondents, um, you know, waiting seven seconds to to respond to each other. So, Matt is a technical wizard, and I'm sure he'll clean it up in post. But uh, if They're if never there's something gonna he just can't clean up, do bear with us. <laughs> They're gonna know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, how have you been? I've been great. I've been uh, I've been living large. We got we got to go to a Mets game uh, on Saturday uh, last Saturday. I had a bunch of friends in town. Uh, we all went out. They're not all baseball people, but they all are definitely now going to a baseball game fans, and so that was just great. We got there really early, which I've never really done before. I've never really, like showed up to the stadium like an hour before the game and that was fun and in and of itself just like waiting around for the game to start we got these oh i want to show you this got these beautiful uh city field replicas that they were handing out that day which is like a nice like heavy bronze paperweight type thing and i i love this thing uh for free like stadium giveaways who would have thought um and on top of it all the Mets won Kodai said I got to watch Kodai Sanga pitch his second game as a Met and he did not disappoint beautiful game no he's been uh he's been great and it's funny you mentioned Kodai Sanga um if I may transition slightly uh we we always are talking via the discord that we have together and I mentioned to you that I had a surprise because you were like, hey, blah, 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 this, this thing happened. And you, I was like, I don't know. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but I have a surprise and it, it's less of a surprise and in more of a confession because you mentioned Kodai Senga. And I was always I was going to say, I absolutely love using him in MLB the show. Mm-hmm. How would I know that? 
because I completely caved and completely went against what I said on our MLB The Show episode and bought MLB The Show 23. Uh, I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, but I will. this I will say. Uh, it's great. It's it's an excellent iteration on the series. Uh, hitting feels a little bit easier this year. My, I love using all the World Baseball Classic players, uh, including the, the Kodai Senga WBC card. Um, I love the WBC uniforms. My only complaint is that the bat sounds, uh, they've changed the bat sounds this year and they sound so tinny and weak and pathetic. So like, you know, you square one up perfect, perfect. And it just sounds like click. Yikes. That's and yeah, especially after great, a long time getting used it is to what the it sounds is. of a game that it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> that was how I felt when they changed from the old announcers to the new ones. It's like, oh, I don't like these guys, even though they're saying like the same thing. Yeah, I turned them off anyway, so it's ne- <laughs> it's never really affected me um, because I need I need like almost total silence. But then I always forget. And if I play like I usually play my friend Jack online and uh, every time I will end up having to back out of the game to go turn off all the, the sounds <laughs> because they're so loud in my headphones. I don't normally play with headphones. But anyway uh i i i caved i'm a weak man um but i i i have gotten better at managing my time and and also my temper because uh, i don't play online anymore so that's where i draw Good. the line there you go well uh, uh today on about the show, that, let's just get into it because yeah. we got a lot to cover yeah today on the show we have uh, a lot to talk about of course we are going to talk about all the baseball that we've missed it's been a hell of an april for baseball so we're going to dive into a little bit of baseball news uh, and then we're going to give you the segment we promised you for the last episode, which is we're going to go over some of the new food a lot of stadiums are featuring. And to cap off the episode, we're going to do a recurring segment that I'm going to call the Esoteric Baseball Term Glossary, where we're just going to dig deep into some things that if you're not a diehard baseball fan, you might not know what these things mean. And we're going to we're going to explain them like the like the good baseball uh, professors that we are. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but first, yes, let's get we are it. we are stewards of the. We are trying to be. God damn it! We are trying to be good stewards of the game, and we're talking over each other. <laughs> now I'm in, now I'm picturing like a uh, a baseball jersey with the elbow patches on it, like a professor. That's kind of how I imagine we'd be yes. good for this. Yes. All right, let's get into the baseball uh, news. You go. So the Tampa Bay Rays or the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, depending on how cool you want them to be, uh, have opened the season with a 13-game winning streak, which ties the record for longest streak to start a season. Many people have critiqued their strength of schedule and muddled their success with claims that the Rays have only played quote-unquote bad teams, that the first team that they've played that made for a challenge was the Blue Jays, which they just finished a series with this week. Um, We're recording this on Monday the 17th, so I don't know how many games the Rays have won or lost since this episode comes out on the 19th. But uh, I do think it's an interesting thing to to start the show with, is talking about this giant win streak that happened while we were out. Um, I hate that critique that they only played bad teams. And it's it's mostly, and I'll say this just to be the bitter Tigers fan, it's because I'm a Tigers fan and the Rays started the season by sweeping the Tigers. And everybody said, oh, well, it doesn't count. It's the Tigers. They're easy. I don't, I've never liked that. I've never liked when a team comes to town and they're just automatically assumed that they're going to beat their opponent because there are no easy wins in baseball, no matter who the team is. And I think that it sort of discounts how good the Rays are 
for the for people to just say, oh well, you know, go play the Yankees and tell us how you feel. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on the on the Rays and their win streak? You're right. I agree. It is you still have to show up and you still have to play the teams. And I think the Tigers, like let's take the Tigers for example. Uh, the Tigers are currently one of the worst teams in in baseball, but they're getting better. But they turned right around after getting swept by Tampa Bay and took two out of three from Houston. They played Toronto very competitively. Their bullpen, which is a, a weakness right now, let them down. But they were they they made Alec Manoa work. Like they made him throw forty two pitches in the second inning uh, when he faced him. And I know Manoa is struggling right now, but. And the Tigers took, well, two out of two from San Francisco. They had their rain out yesterday. Um, so it just goes to show you that even the bad teams can still show up. So I think that speaks more to Tampa Bay. I mean, they we, we talked about it in the updates that we did. It was historic. They weren't just winning. They had, at one point, they had more home runs than runs that they allowed like they hit themselves at more home runs. It's, uh, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, they're still major league teams. The worst major league team is still, well, okay, 29 out of the 30 major league teams are still really good. And then there's Oakland, who I think is just so bad right now. But uh, <laughs> no, what they did was extremely impressive. I, I think it goes to say you can't have it both ways in baseball. And so many people definitely try to, where it's like they, they put the Rays on a pedestal or they don't. But they'll put the Rays on a pedestal and say the Rays are the greatest team ever, but they've only beat the Tigers, who are a terrible team. It's like you can't have it both ways. Either they're very good and the Tigers are a, a worthy component, or they're just okay and they're winning easy games. Like, there, there's no both ways about it. Um, and I prefer to think of it the the former way, which is I do think the Rays are, are really, really solid. Like, Randy Arozarena left with the World Baseball Classic and all that awesome uh, uh, momentum behind him, and he's brought it right into the MLB season. And they made good moves in the offseason, too, which they're the Rays. Of course they did. Like, And it, it should be mentioned, they've been wearing that throwback Devil Rays uniform more lately, and it's just a better uniform. Being the Devil Rays is a better name as a team than the Rays, so I think they know what's going on. I think they know. Yeah, because I just picture like when I when I hear the Tampa Bay Rays, I just picture like a bunch of surly uncles named Ray <laughs> or Ray Romano. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Debra, I gotta hit a yes. home run, Debra. Better. <laughs> All right. <laughs> In other news, God damn it, a drunken man attacked the Rockies mascot at Coors Field, injuring the performer. Uh, they have turned themselves into the police. It's April. It is the we're beginning the third week of the baseball season, and we've already had attacks on on mascots. Yeah, and you know it was going to happen in Colorado. I, I, I shouldn't say you know. Let me back that up. You, I shouldn't say you know it's going to happen in Colorado. You know for a fact it's not going to happen in Philadelphia because Philly <laughs> fans are insane. And if you attack the Philly fanatic, uh, they will beat you with whatever blunt you know, object is closest to them. Or a battery. They just throw batteries at you. I would I would be afraid to attack any. <laughs> Philly mascot because I'd be afraid they'd fight back and win. Uh, <laughs> that goes across the board for any mascot in Philly. That's probably probably your best course of action. I was going to say I, I I wanted to jump on this next bullet point because I I mentioned it one of my updates. Uh, there's a, a historic uh, union uh, forming. The first uh, CBA covering the minor leaguers uh, was ratified. Uh, 99% of the players voted for it. All 30 major league owners, uh, voted for it. So, you know, that it was, it was time. 
if you can get all 30 billionaire owners to agree on something, uh, it was probably for the best. And there is a ton of ton of stuff going on with that CBA. Uh, they're getting housing, better housing. Teams are now, uh, let's see, our players are guaranteed housing except for players who have either a major league contract or minor leaguers earning more than $4,666.67 per week, et cetera, et cetera. There, the pay is doubling. Uh, so there's service time factors in there. It's it's huge, and it is a it is a massively massive long time coming because minor leaguers for years have been just quite frankly shit on, and they've been used as guinea pigs. Like in the early 2000s, they were the guinea pigs with steroid testing because they could just be tested for steroids at will because they weren't covered by a CBA. So and then they kept all that information. They they found out that a bunch of minor leaguers were using steroids, and then they kept it quiet for three years until Congress dragged Bud Selig into their building. <laughs> yeah, I, it's monumental, it, and I think it definitely uh, was helped last year by the success of the um, the, the major league uh, new labor agreement. Um, but it's they were paying some minor leaguers less than minimum wage, like federal minimum wage, to go out and play a sport that, that again, I, I cannot stress it enough. We've said it a million times on the show. These guys might be millionaires eventually in their career, if they're lucky. Um, but still, it's a very small window of time where you can be successful, and that money's got to last you the rest of your life. Otherwise, you got to find some, you got to pivot hard later in life, which is not easy. And, uh, you know, more. I think more power too. However, these guys can get paid, and of course, this is a very pro labor show, so we're always going to celebrate when the people actually doing the labor, like the players, get paid. Exactly. I will always say, you know, if you you want to bitch and complain about, you know, specifically sports unions, ask yourself the last time you paid to go see an owner do what they do. Well, hey, uh, Chris Illich is going to sell some pizza this year, so. <laughs> Hell yeah! All right. So some teams are now selling beer into the end of the eighth inning to compensate for faster games under the new pitch clock, including, on the record, the Brewers and the Phillies. Uh, now, there's a Phillies pitcher named Matt Strom who disagrees with the idea, saying there won't be enough time for fans to, quote, sober up before they drive home. Now, this was a topic of conversation we had way back in the earlier episodes of the show. We were talking about the new rules, and um, I had mentioned something like this. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a little worried that there won't be enough time to get enough beers. And now that I've been to a game, I can speak from experience that there's plenty of time, <laughs> plenty of time, because the flip side of it is <laughs> you you get your beer in the seventh inning before they shut down concessions. By the time you finish that beer, the game's over. So it's like, it's not like you're missing out on that much. Now, Strom's argument that fans need to sober up before they drive home, I find a little concerning because if you were drunk in the seventh inning, you shouldn't drive by the end of the ninth inning. <laughs> no, I would say that that is uh, categorically a bad idea. And I think it says a lot about Matt Strom's opinion on uh, drinking, I guess, because uh, I mean, I'm not an avid drinker. I drink like maybe twice a year, uh, so it doesn't really affect me. But I do know that y you're no get an Uber. Don't don't be an idiot. Or use public transportation, which is uh, another highlight of my Mets game experience. We took the Long Island Railroad to the game for the first time. Very nice. Much better than the 7th train. Hey, and speaking of the Mets, I wanted to report... Yeah, I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I wanted to report on this game that happened on Friday or Saturday. I forget when this game was. Uh, I think it was Friday. Um, because... 
every once in a while, I think we're going to have a game that is worth focusing on and uh, really highlighting just how good or bad it was. This might have been the worst game I've ever seen in my entire life and might have felt that way no matter who was playing, but it was the Mets versus the A's. Uh, the Oakland A's, of course, if you don't know uh, listeners out there, they're not in a good spot. They're their management is looking into either relocating or selling the team, probably moving the team to Las Vegas, which is what they also did to the Oakland Raiders. Um, and in 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 the congruence with that, they've been completely underfunding the team and the stadium. So the stadium looks like a mess and no one's showing up for games. I think the average attendance is about 12,000 in a stadium that can hold 40. Um, and the team itself is just horrifically bad. Uh, and this game was a great example of it. So as a whole, on the game, the A's threw a total of 17 walks, including 11 in the first five innings, which is the third most in the history of baseball, uh, leading to two separate innings where they both allowed six runs on one hit, which is the first time in history that's ever happened. The naming rights for the stadium were revoked and announced mid-game. They took down the sign right before the game for the naming <laughs> rights of the stadium. Uh... There is a possum living in the visitor's broadcast booth, which I guess they were just kind of dealing with for a while. Like the Angels were the first team to visit, uh, open the season, and they were broadcasting with the little possum hanging out in there. But the Mets broadcasters couldn't hang out in there because the possum took a giant shit and it stunk up the room so bad that they could not broadcast from that room. So they moved them to a different room. <laughs> and there was a giant pole right in front of Gary Cohen's face so he couldn't see the game the whole time. Um, you know, Mets star pitcher Kodai Senga was pitching, and there's a new little trend that I find really fun where fans are starting to put this little decal of a, of a ghost, like his signature pitch is called the Ghost Fork. Every time he gets a strikeout, they've been posting those you know, strikeout counters. Well, the security <laughs> for the, the Oakland uh, uh, Stadium came around to these Mets fans that were putting up these posters and confiscating it from them. Not just telling them take it down, they literally took them from them, and when they lately argued, they were like, okay, you're out of here. They threw these guys out just for putting up fun little posters to count the strikeouts. There was nobody at this game, and they were already throwing people out. The game was three and a half hours long, <laughs> which is probably going to be the longest game this year, especially with how short the games are. Uh, it was so long that Senga started warming up in between innings because all these walks and those aforementioned six-run, one-hit innings. Um, Gary Cohen called it a clown show, and I would 100% agree. It was, a, it was a circus. It was a terrible game. Awful. And I felt bad for the A's at the end of it. Now, their fans are planning some sort of reverse boycott where they're going to uh, try to sell out the June 13th game uh, in defiance of the ownership. I don't know, but uh, I don't think one game is going to make the difference with this team. They're, uh, they're bad. They're bad. Their ownership is bad. Their stadium is really bad. Like there's been problems with flooding bathrooms. The the clubhouses are terrible. I think the dugouts flood every now and then. It it's an old stadium that was built in the era of multi-purpose stadiums back when, you know, you'd watch you know, you'd watch a football game on Sunday and wonder why there were like cutouts for bases in it or you know, it's it's they need a new stadium, but to me, Oakland is a, I would call it a legacy franchise. I, I think that the Oakland athletic, like it just seems like you have to keep o the athletics in Oakland. It just feels right. They were one of my first favorite teams when I was a kid that weren't the Tigers, 
I grew up in the era of the Bash brothers, you know, McGuire and Canseco, and I love their catcher, Terry Steinbach, and uh, former shortstop, Walt Weiss, Dave Smoke Stewart on the mound. Like, it just feels right. And the idea that they're going to move or potentially, you know, I say potentially, they're going to move. It sucks. And it sucks for the fans because I know that, again, here I am. I feel like a broken record, but talking about a book that I read about baseball, <laughs> the history of baseball in Oakland is deep. It is deep. And you get a really good sense of that from the excellent biography that Howard Bryden wrote about Ricky Henderson. Another book recommendation for everybody out there. I suggest you go take a listen or take a listen or read it. And uh, not only we learned a lot about Ricky, which is fun, but you learn a lot about the history of baseball in Oakland. And like attendance doesn't tell the whole story every time because, uh, you know, two great examples of the season right now. The Rays are very, very good. One of the best teams in baseball. No one goes to their games. They're routinely very undersold on those games at the Trop. And conversely, the Tigers are a terrible team and have been for years. And they still sell out... Fucking... Okay. They still sell out a good number of games a year. And, and you know, about uh, median attendance, you know, it's so it's uh, it's not just the fans. You can't really put the, the onus on the fans. I think that there would probably be more of them if the team was good. But at the end of the day, it's on ownership. They're not putting in the investment in the team, and probably because they have ulterior motives for it. And that sucks. Yes, it does. I mean, that Tampa Bay is an excellent example. They're one of the best teams in baseball right now, but they still can't sell it out. And from what I understand, my, my father-in-law has been there. It's just an inaccessible stadium. You know, that's that's not their fault. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to happen. But speaking of stadiums... Let's move on to our first topic of the day. The long-awaited stadium food segment of the show. Now, uh, in our season preview, we really wanted to cover a lot of this stuff, but the teams hadn't released it yet, which makes sense because we recorded it a good week before the season started. Uh, but here we are. We're in the season. People are trying these foods. There's a lot of exciting new foods and some weird ones, too. Um, and I'm going to dig into them here. Um, now, there's a link in our footnotes that'll show you at least, like, MLB's, like, featured... Or what is it? The, I think it was, like, Bleacher Report. Bleacher Nation. They're sort of featured top five foods of the year. Uh, and I also had a couple highlights that I found. Uh, so we're just going to go through them. Uh, the Kansas City Royals finally have good barbecue in the stadium which is crazy because that's a town for barbecue what took them so long uh chef jay's barbecue is going to serve full platters of whatever kind of barbecued meat you want they got brisket sandwiches and some more they've also got a korean corn dog prepared with panko and corn chip mix served with sriracha ketchup i don't know a, a big theme of today's segment is going to be reinventing the dog <laughs> <laughs> I I love sriracha ketchup. I love spicy ketchup, but I I don't tell people how to live their lives. But it, the closest I ever come to it is that ketchup should never be within thirty feet of a hot dog. That said, it's your mouth, it's your food. Do what you want. I'm a mustard fan. I'm a mustard fan. There's just like a lot of weird uh, combinations here that go beyond what I would consider a normal hot dog. Or well, we'll get into it. Uh, uh, let's see the Braves in Atlanta. Yeah, this is this is basic right here. Yeah. The Braves in Atlanta have a cleanup burger, which is four grilled all-beef patties served with hash brown potatoes, hickory smoked bacon, cheese, and a sunny-side-up fried egg served on a Belgian waffle with maple syrup serves anywhere from one to four. <laughs> I think I would err on the side of four. Yeah, I even in my even in my biggest like 
power lifting days when I, you know, would have to ingest 4,000 calories plus a day, I wouldn't mess with this. They call, I, I think they call it the cleanup burger because that's what you're going to have to do if you're trying to eat it by yourself. Can you imagine eating that and how messy it would be, especially with the egg and the maple syrup um, in a in a stadium seat? Like you'd have to sit down and eat that thing, right? Yeah, it comes with like a like a poncho, I think. So you... <laughs> they gotta hose you down afterward. <laughs> go over here to go over here to our hose off section. You you ate the cleanup burger, didn't you? You get in there. All right, our New York Mets. They are featuring a glazed donut and fried chicken sandwich from local comfort food favorite Jacob's Pickles, um, which we didn't get to try. We tried. They had it locked behind some club access. I don't know. We didn't have the ticket, the right tickets for it, which is a shame. They also have a giant milkshake topped with a glazed donut topped with popcorn, courtesy of a restaurant called Sunday Donuts. Now, I didn't want to try that because that just sounds... <laughs> too much um but i will say uh some of the food i did have at the mets game the other day i finally got to try the world famous pastrami sandwich at city field lives up to the hype it was so good um just a nice thick you know this size pastrami sandwich smothered in spicy uh mustard oh it's so good friend of mine got the uh, Pat Lafreda filet mignon steak sandwich, which is also quite delicious. Uh, extremely expensive. And uh, Ashley, my wife, she got the nacho helmet, which was fun. We got to go home with a with a really messy uh, helmet full of, full of cheese and guacamole, but um, uh, <laughs> really quite delicious. Um, I, I had so much food at the game. I just... Uh, I, I shudder to think about what my credit card statement's going to say from that game alone because I had a couple of beers, and then once the foods just started coming, I was like, ooh, I want this now. I want this. So I even I had sampled all of that stuff, and I also got a hot dog before the game is over too, which is always my favorite. Hot dog at a baseball game is uh, kind of the perfect, in my opinion. How I had room for it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. I, I was in Cincinnati. The only thing they have that's really like that is they just serve skyline chili and no yeah no no disrespect to you guys different strokes and all that but i'm not eating sugar laden chili i'm just not doing it no sorry cincinnati in ohio in general like you guys got to give up that chili thing it's not your deal like i I guess it's their thing i don't know it's not mine uh in san francisco the giants are featuring and this was confusing to me philadelphia crab fries what does Philadelphia have to do with it? I don't know. Um, but they're uh, French fries served with crab seasoning topped with fresh Dungeonet crab and garland lemon, garlic lemon aioli. That does sound really delicious, especially if you're catching a game by the bay. Um, I want those fries. They do sound tasty. I, I, I'd, I'd mess with those. I'd mess with those. That might be the first one that I'm like, yeah, I'm in for that. The, the barbecue is kind of basic. Uh, and I assume you're going to pay way more at Kauffman Stadium than you would at the actual barbecue restaurant. Um, but it makes sense for them to have it. This crab fry thing, that's the first one I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, finally, the White Sox have two things on either side of the spectrum. Uh, the first one is a street corn corn dog, which sounds awesome. Uh, corn dog smothered in queso topped with jalapenos, grilled corn, cilantro, and cochia cheese. On the other side of the, the spectrum, they have a champagne of hot dogs, which I this was the first thing that I sent to you when we started talking about food, because this is a half pound uh, foot long Vienna hot dog served on a normal sized brioche bun. It looks comical because there's a good uh, five inches on either side of the dog that is not covered by bun 
at all. And uh, it's topped with uh, champagne, Vidalia relish, and habanero mustard. What's the point of this dog, Carl? What are the White Sox doing? Listen, it's it's a bit of an arms race, I feel like, (laughs) in terms of who can create the the craziest food experience there are there there it's like for example in toronto uh they uh unveiled the poutine hot dog um they had their home opener which really pissed me off by the way as a side note uh if you say that a game starts at 707 and then you're going to spend 30 minutes having a a ceremony to celebrate the renovations in your new stadium you start that ceremony at 637 yeah. uh not 707 and then wait make me wait 30 minutes, but um, they also have a poutine hot dog and a, a woman, uh, a fan at the game, she pledged to eat one for every home run that the Jays hit on uh, their home opener. And then they decided to set a team record and hit five home runs. Spoiler alert, she did not eat five. She ate one. Coward. She could have at least tried two. <laughs> Uh, considering the state, uh, well, I was going to say, you know, I was going to say considering the state of healthcare in America, but that was Canada. So just go yeah. hard. Go on. You got nationalized healthcare. Get after it. I saw a video of a guy that has this new challenge called the 999 challenge. You have to eat nine hot dogs, drink nine beers, uh, over the course, uh, each do each of those in nine innings. So a hot dog and a beer per inning over the course of a game. Um, and that guy was in Boston. So if if an American can eat that many hot dogs, drink that many beers, she can do the poutine hot dog five times. Come on. Now, maybe before the pitch clock, I would have you know, like, oh, that might have seemed better before the pitch clock. But now with the pitch clock going and these games ending in under two hours, nine beers and nine hot dogs in an hour and 57 minutes. It was good knowing you. That's a race. That's a race right there. All right. I'm done talking about food because I'm hungry now. <laughs> a race to the end. Me, yeah, me too. Let's get to our next segment. The esoteric baseball term glossary. So a little background on this segment. I found myself with my fan friends at the game, with my wife as the season has started. I'll be like, oh, this thing happened at the game. And you have to back up and be like, oh, yeah, I need to explain to you what a Rule 5 draft is before I can get into why our Rule 5 draft pitcher did really good in this game. And so I, I've just kind of compiled a couple of things that I'm like, oh, the average person probably doesn't know what DFA means, what hitting for the cycle means. And so these are just kind of little helpful terms. And I figured we'd do this several times throughout the season because this happens all the time. Uh, baseball is an incredibly dense, esoteric sport. And uh, I want to help people understand it better. There's even some things I don't even understand terribly well. And the first thing is designate for assignment, which this came to mind because the Mets designated a player named Darren Ruff for assignment this week. Um, Designate for assignment. Carl, would you mind going over this uh, MLB glossary definition of designate for assignment? I would love to, because this is one of my favorite ones to explain, because I can also tie it into two of my favorite bands, uh, LCD Sound System and Death From Above 1979. Uh, James Murphy of LCD Sound System started a record label, DFA Records. Um, And then Death From Above came along and formed their band, DFA 79, they would sometimes call themselves. So there was a little bit of a a legal spat there, but it it (laughs) ended amicably. But I just like to tie that in. When a player uh, has their contract uh, designated for assignment, often abbreviated as DFA, 
the player is immediately removed from the club's 40-man roster, which is an entirely different thing that we have to explain. Uh, Major League rosters carry 26 players at the MLB level, but then they have an additional 14 players that can be more easily moved freely back and forth between the minors. We'll talk about that some other time. Um, If they are designated for assignment, they're immediately removed from the club's 40-man roster. Uh, the team then has seven days uh, from the date of transaction. Uh, it used to be 10 days, but the new collective bargaining agreement has shortened it to seven. Um, the player can either be traded or placed on irrevocable outright waivers. So once the player goes on waivers, other teams can place a claim on that player in reverse order of their current standing. So the worst team, the team with the worst record at that time has first crack at it. The team with the best record has the last crack at it. Um, If the player is claimed by a team, they're immediately added to the 40-man roster. Um, At that point, they can be optioned to the minor leagues if the player has minor league options remaining or assigned to the new team's 26-man roster. Now, if that player clears waivers, meaning that that player does not get picked up by anybody, he can be sent outright to the minor leagues or released. Um, Players with three or more than three years of major league service time or who have been previously outrighted may reject the outright assignment in in favor of free agency. Um, why would a team do this? <laughs> they do it to clear a spot on the 40-man roster, uh, typically with the intention of adding a newly acquired player, either via trade or free agency, um, a minor leaguer getting called up, uh, see like Brett Beatty recently in New York, you might DFA somebody to make a spot for him, um, or a player being activated from the 60-day injured list. So there you go. It's it's a bunch of contractual jargon that... Uh, can sort of help you have a better understanding of why teams are doing what they do. It's usually a player who doesn't have minor league options, which means that that they they are usually a, an MLB veteran or somebody that's been through the minor league system enough times where they can't be sent back down or as part of their contract to say like, okay, I'll be here, but I'm only here. So guys that, that are major league or bust and you don't have room on your roster for them, and they're underperforming. A popular chant with fans for players like that is defa them. And happens about once a season, your team will probably defa somebody that sucks. And uh, I think the first time I was aware of the term was uh, Nomar Mazara. Was that his name? Played for the Tigers in 21. Just absolutely mm-hmm. abysmal player. Couldn't do anything right. Couldn't field, couldn't hit, couldn't do anything. He was designated for assignment, immediately picked up by another team, and started doing very well on that team. (laughs) It's just kind of how it works sometimes. You fire a guy, and then he's got every right to go off on do something with another team. Most guys, if they're designated for assignment, uh, if they're older enough, they'll elect free agency over going to the minor leagues, which is, you know, pretty normal. Um, Moving on, let's talk about the cycle. Yeah. So, this was inspired by Luis Arias, who hit the uh, first cycle in Miami Marlins history up until that point, which just happened on April 11th. Up until that point, the Marlins were the only team to have never hit for the cycle, and they signed the American League batting champion last year, bring him in, immediately they get the cycle. Um, I'm very happy for them. Arias is a phenomenal hitter. For those that don't know what it is, it is an accomplishment where one batter in one game hits a single a double, a triple, and a home run. If they do it in that order, it's called a natural cycle. It's uh, one of the rarest feats in the sport, 
is is like it, it doesn't seem as important or, or awesome as a no hitter, but it, it's actually only occurred 340 times in recorded baseball history. Um, it is one of the rarest and most difficult feats in baseball. The average MLB player hitting for the cycle, the odds are about 0.0059%, or two and a half cycles per season it's 162 games over 30 teams so that's kind of crazy um the most cycles ever hit in a single season was eight which occurred in both 1933 and 2009 i don't know about you but when a player is on the verge of hitting the cycle especially if it's like if they've gotten the home run and the triple out of the way that's when you get excited that's when you're like okay this is on par with a no hitter i think absolutely uh i i mentioned it in an update i think it was this the second episode that we aired when we were on our break, Adam Duvall came up to the plate only needing a single. So he'd already gotten the triple out of the way and then just decided to hit a walk-off home run instead. <laughs> just didn't, you know, didn't need the cycle. Um, but I agree. It's, 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 it's cool because you don't see, I mean, it's, it's the triple. The triple is really the hard one to get. I, there, there are more home runs hit every season than there are triples. It's just the rarest thing you're going to see. So if you see somebody hit a triple, like if you see somebody hit a triple in the first inning, I'm immediately on cycle watch. Yeah. Yeah. And only certain players can even hit a triple. Like it's, it's gotta be some sort of combination of hitting for power. So it gets far enough out into the field, hitting in a good spot where the outfielders can't get to it right away. And you gotta be fast as hell to go from home plate all the way over to third, which is 180 mm -hmm. feet. Did I do the math right? No, two, 270 feet. 270. Ah, I'm so bad at math. <laughs> Uh, my my favorite triple, uh, if if you go Google it, uh, Benji Molina's triple. Um, you could also like see maybe like a very slow catcher hit one into the gap, and then the guy dives for it, and then just doesn't get it, and he doesn't have good backup. Uh, and so that's how you see somebody like a, uh, five foot eight, 230 pound, uh, 35 year old catcher with bad knees at a triple. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. That's actually the thing I'm most sad about with them bringing in the walls at Comerica park is cause that is a triple or it was a triples field. Wasn't so much a home run field. I would never really call it a, a pitcher's park because it was deep to a point where triples could happen very easily with the right hitter and now they brought the walls in and i feel like yeah. it's not as not as easy to hit one this time yeah but it might still happen if you've got a pitcher who is tipping their pitches oh. that's the next one i saw on the list there and i'm a big fan of this one if you if you don't mind me uh jumping on this one so sometimes uh you know if if I'm watching a game and, you know, my wife Katie is nearby and the guy's just getting racky tacked all over the ballpark, I might say, well, he's tipping his pitches. What does that mean? Uh, when, when a pitcher tips his pitches, he more often than not inadvertently has a mannerism or something uh, that he only exhibits before a certain pitch, uh, giving uh, a lot of vital information to the batter on the pitch that's about to be thrown. Um, batters who know what pitch is coming uh, have a huge advantage uh, because they they want that pitch. And this is something I was saying to the the Phillies fan at the Reds game last week. We were talking about the pitch clock, and he was saying it it, oh, it gives the hitters advantages. Good hitters need every advantage you can get. When you when you fail seven out of ten times and you're considered successful, you have no advantages. Um, you don't know what pitch is coming. You don't know where the pitcher's throwing it. So anything that can give you an advantage, and these guys are eagle-eyed, very eagle-eyed. Uh, I think the most famous example, uh, Randy Johnson was a notorious pitch tipper, uh, especially when he was pitching out of the windup. He would hold his glove up in front of his face. 
And if he was having, if he's going to throw a fastball, his glove would be more closed. But if he was throwing a slider, his glove was a little more flared open. And he's still one of the greatest pitchers of all time because it didn't fucking matter because he was Randy goddamn Johnson. Yeah, it's uh, actually I think the whole the whole face thing was a was a thing he did to mitigate tipping a little bit better. Um, I actually just watched this interesting Nolan Ryan documentary that's on Netflix. Um, go watch that. It's really fun. George Bush shows up really early and you're like, wait, what the fuck? Um, but uh, I digress. <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> basically, <it. laughs> Ryan basically told Johnson that like uh, the way that he was winding up was putting uh, uh, way too much weight on his front foot. And he if he would just uh, land on the ball of his foot i don't i don't really know pitching mechanics too well but basically he taught johnson a way to protect himself from tipping a little better and control the strike zone a little better and uh again it's like just because you know what pitch a guy's throwing doesn't necessarily mean you know where it's going to be thrown um i would say and we've actually mentioned this game a couple times on the show one of the best examples of pitch tipping i've ever seen was the Tigers put up a, a rookie starting pitcher last year named Elvin Rodriguez uh, against the Yankees. And I happened to be at that game, and it was a bloodbath. The Yankees, I think, hit five home runs or something like that. Um, it was insane. And John Boy, uh, a great YouTube channel, they did a, a breakdown exactly how this guy was tipping his pitches and how the Yankees were spotting what he was doing. And I'm going to link that in the footnotes because I do think it's incredibly helpful to see, like, if you know what the pitcher's throwing, it automatically unlocks so much for the batter and and how those player, those pitchers kind of indicate what they're going to do. I think it's really important. Yeah. I mean, even in my 40 and over league, there was a guy last year, uh, you could tell he was getting ready to throw a curveball because of the position of his hand. Like, you could see... If he was throwing a fastball, his wrist, like the top of his hand, like my watch, like imagine the face of my watch was more facing up. But if he hmm. was getting ready to throw his curveball, you could already tell he had it in his hand and he's throwing it like a football. So the top of his wrist where your watch, the face of your watch would be was facing out. And he actually had a pretty good curveball and it helped us uh, lay off of it. And uh, we still lost because we were not very good, um, but at least we knew not to swing at the curveball. All right. I'm going to skip roll five draft. We're going to save that for another uh, esoteric because that, that one's going to take a minute to explain. I don't even okay. super understand it. So uh, you, got, you got something to say. I, I do. I do. And I also think I, 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 I do. And I, and I'm, I think that'd be a great idea because I think there, there's a really good connection. And that is J.D. Martinez. So, you know, you can talk about like the value of what you can see in the Rule 5 draft. And I think he's arguably the most successful uh, Rule 5 pick, at least in the last 20 years. Um, but we can definitely do that uh, another time. It's a, bit, it's a bit of an explainer. And sometimes it's, it's rare for those players to succeed, but when they do. But we'll get into it another time. I want to finish off with uh, the very last one, Noble Tiger which I told you about the other day, and you said you did not know what it was. And I was so excited for that. Um, I got to... Yeah, I, I've, I've seen it on Reddit, and I... Yeah, I, and I, I still have it spoiled. Okay. Uh, I, I've seen it on Reddit a couple of times, and I, I just... I didn't care enough to look, and then you mentioned it. 
And I was like, ooh, good. I love a surprise. So uh, I'm not going to unredact it. I am just going to let you explain it to me and me and, well, I was going to say, me and the audience will learn about it in real time, but they won't because I'm learning about it on Monday and (laughs) they're learning about it on Wednesday at the earliest. All right. (laughs) A noble tiger is an acronym. So imagine this in all caps, Noble Tiger. It's an acronym very popular on Reddit, online baseball forums. Uh, it stands for no outs, bases loaded, ending with team incapable of getting an easy getting easy run. No outs, bases loaded, ending with team incapable of getting easy runs. It's a little sweaty, mostly because I think the creator of the acronym wanted to give some <laughs> Uh, um, homage to the team that inspired it, which is our lovely Detroit Tigers. It was coined in the Detroit Tigers subreddit, Motor City Kitties, by a user named This Means Warm. It came about in 2018 and uh, came at a time where the Tigers would routinely load the bases, nobody out. All you have to do in that situation is hit a fly ball or a single, and you will drive in a run or take a walk, anything anything to drive it a run it's one of the most frustrating things in the world when you've got the bases loaded nobody out and you don't bring in a single run and it happens more often than you'd think but it is still pretty a pretty rare occurrence that only the the best worst teams can pull off and that's why it's named after the tigers uh i have now that i know what it is i am reminded of a very ignoble moment in my uh adult baseball life when a team i played for when I still lived in Flint years ago, I had a game where I came up to the plate three times with the bases loaded and only managed to drive in a run one time. And that was no. because I hit a ground ball uh, to the right side. I happened to, yeah, I, I, I happened to uh, be facing a guy throwing some serious heat. He was throwing mid to high 80s. And uh, I happened to just hit a roller to the right side. And I'm a right-handed hitter, so I was behind on that pitch. Um, and managed to get somebody in, but I didn't even get a cre- I didn't even get credit for the uh, for the RBI because they turned a double play on it, so I don't get the RBI. Uh, and I bought so much beer as a result of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's kind of impressive, honestly, when you see a team get out of that situation when when the opposing player or the opposing pitcher can get out of it. I think uh, the Tigers committed one the other day, the aforementioned game against Alex Manoa, if I'm not mistaken, where he. I think walked the first three batters of the game and then struck out the next three. Kind of impressive. Was it Manoa? I think it was. Um, impressive, weird, but impressive. <laughs> um, of course, the other flip side of it is the Mets the other day with that with that insane A's game where they kept walking guys home. So like it, it's uh, it happens in all stripes, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 impressive in its futility. Like it's it's very impressive to be that bad especially at a professional level but that's the fun of baseball <laughs> anything can happen uh, i think Sorry, we're i was in. trying to take a picture of a fat squirrel on my bird feeder outside my window oh hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think that's gonna do it for us today uh technical uh glitches aside i think we got through it all we got so much more to talk about next week we've got even more baseball news I want to say, like, for it being April, there's some really good games getting played. And, like, I I don't know if it's the new schedule, the balanced schedule against the whole league. I don't know if it's just some teams are surprisingly good or bad. Um, But it's made for a really fun 
early April baseball season. I, I don't think I've ever cared this much about baseball right off the bat of the season. I don't know about, I don't know if you're feeling the same way. I feel like it's kind of a popular sentiment around the internet, at least. No, I am extremely excited. I was going to say there are some teams right now, as of this record, Monday morning, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are in first place in the National League West. That's kind of crazy. Uh, the, the the Pittsburgh Pirates are nine and seven. They're surprisingly good this year. Brian Reynolds is on one. Uh, the Cubs are, 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 you know, up there at eight and six. The Brewers are running away with the division right now. Um it's yeah, it's it's just it's kind of crazy. I'm just trying to take a quick look at the the standings here. The Rangers are in first place in the AL West by two and a half games, but they clobbered just absolutely clobbered the Astros this past weekend. Uh, yeah, no, it's it is the this is this is my favorite time of the season because you see teams sprint out. Uh, you see some teams not doing super well that you expect to do well. Uh, it feels like you get some of these weird. Um, esoteric things that happen like it feels like the weirdest stuff happens at the beginning of the season um, and it just it, it's just the it's the goddamn best I could I could gush forever about how much I love baseball and I could think of some of the best things about baseball you tell me a month and I'll tell you my favorite thing about baseball in that month um, but we, we we gotta go yeah it is the end of the episode uh, we're doing plugs now as a uh, post record uh, edit in so I think we'll just leave you with, uh, join us next week. You know, make sure you like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, enjoy some games this week. There's some good ones. Uh, but we'll see you next week on Put Me In Coach. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback. Edited and produced by Matt Coggins. Check out the footnotes of this episode to see links to all the great highlights, articles, and sources we mentioned on the podcast today, as well as the full theme song and ways to get in touch with us. For more, find us on Twitter and Instagram at PutMeInPod or at our website, PutMeInCoachPod.com. Put Me In Coach.